0: Yeah, I'd just like to uh, announce my candidacy to be coach of the Scottish international rugby <laughs> team. I, I think probably the uh, thing to say about, uh, since we're here at Murrayfield is uh, uh, that uh, Fergus described the, uh, the more recent results as mixed, which is uh, sounds to me like a politician's uh, euphemism, doesn't it? But the movie is something that uh, a lot of games actually turn on the bounce of a ball, with sort of narrow margins, and uh, international rugby between defeat and uh, and victory and I wonder if the economy can be a bit like that as well. There actually are narrow margins between things which are seen to be improving and, and things which are, uh, are seen to be deteriorating. Uh, and there's also a huge number of variables, just like in a rugby game there's uh, an infinite number of uh, moves and passes that can either succeed or break down. I suspect the economy is a bit like that as well. In terms of the Marginal impact o- of certain things has on the overall uh, uh, performance, and if you look at the internationally, <coughs> the uh, in terms of the uh, uh, developed economies, uh, then one or two are are in a very very severe condition indeed. One or two are in a a, a very robust condition, uh, but the uh, the bulk, the remainder, are actually grouped together, uh, struggling with a. Western world uh, recession uh, economies uh, bumping along the bottom, uh, but the numbers of economies which are actually growing quickly and the numbers which are are falling fast are actually quite limited compared to the numbers which are grouped in the, in the middle and in a, a situation where you have uh, demand in the economy, which in my estimation is clearly deficient and therefore it's going to make a a, a strong recovery, very difficult uh, indeed until that situation is corrected. Uh, then perhaps what is uh, particularly important, uh, particularly given when you don't have much control over the amount of aggregate demand in the economy, is to look at the what's happening underneath, to look at the, the trends, the influences that uh, are taking place to see if they're going to lead to a, a longer term shift uh, in the uh, economy. And I think what I want to talk about uh, today is largely that, is to try and look underneath the the aggregate Scottish economic statistics and see if we can actually detect something in the way of uh, entrepreneurship and business formation and people's attitude to to wealth creation and uh, trying to close the gap uh, between uh, innovation and ingenuity on the one hand and the business uh, marketing or exploitation of that ingenuity on the other. Uh, And there are some things in these in that analysis that uh, are things we've got to face up to as a country, things that we haven't done particularly well, not just uh, over the last few months, but over the, the last few decades. Uh, and there's things, I think, in the figures which indicate that uh, there may be a turnaround in, in some of the underlying reasons why in some aspects we've been underperforming. Can I say a bit firstly about uh, these uh, meetings? Uh, they are taken extremely seriously by the government, National Economic Forum, running for uh, over four years now. Uh, the uh, evidence, of I think there's, uh, you've got a I wonder what a collective noun for cabinet secretaries is. Is it a, a, a bunch of cabinet secretaries? Is it a grouping of cabinet secretaries? Is it a cabinet of cabinet secretaries? A surfeit of cabinet secretaries, <laughs> an overabundance of cabinet secretaries, an excess of cabinet secretaries. Whatever the collect- collective noun is, that's what you've got. You've got uh, uh, John Swinney, who will be arriving uh, shortly from his uh, experience in the, the House of Lords. I see the House of Lords is getting less genteel than uh, <laughs> I, uh, I remember it. Uh, <laughs> we've got the cabinet secretary for culture, <coughs> Sandler Fairfield, Husslop here, there's Derek Mackay. Uh, there's Michael Russell, the Cabinet Secretary for Education, Lifelong Learning, and Fergus Ewing you've already heard from our, our Cabinet Secretary for Rugby uh, and all <laughs> things uh, sporting. Angela Constance, uh, who's the for a year now has been the Minister for Youth Employment. It uh, would have been here, but she's actually at Diageo's offices uh, in Edinburgh right now, launching a, a campaign to encourage employers to recruit and, uh, and train young people. It's part of a series of meetings with major employers in Scotland. I- I've spent uh, a working lifetime uh, analysing economic statistics and uh, one thing I know is that uh, you should never ever make short term forecasts. You know, somebody asks you in economics to, to make a forecast and say, look, the world economy in 30 years time will look like this. Mm-hmm. One, it sounds hell of impressive. Uh, and secondly, it's quite unlikely that in thirty years' time somebody will come back and say, "Why did you say that thirty years ago?" If, however, you try to forecast the retail price index for the next week, it's always quite likely that somebody will say, "Why did you get that spectacularly <laughs> wrong?" Uh, so never ever make a, a short-term forecast if you can possibly avoid it. Uh, so I'm just going to do that. Uh, I, I, I've been, as with Angela. Uh, focusing and looking at the youth employment figures uh, and the trends of Scotland over the last year. Unless I'm very much mistaken, there are some uh, good signs in the youth employment figures. Good signs against the background of youth employment, which is far, far too high. Uh, Where underemployment and the wastage of talent and ability is a a national scandal. But nonetheless, comparative signs looking at recent history, looking at uh, the other countries in these islands, looking at the other countries in the European continent, uh, I think there's uh, some uh, aspects of real significance and hope in the figures. And I do believe that the focus over the last year on this issue and the uh, engagement with the Scottish Trade Union Congress and with uh, major employers in Scotland and the initiatives and in particular the the National Apprenticeship uh, Scheme and the levels that it's running at, you know, 26,000 modern apprentices in jobs in Scotland, which is the distinguishing feature of our uh, apprenticeship uh, system uh, are making a a substantial impact on youth employment. Uh, But uh, like all short-term forecasts, uh, in a week or so's time you can come and tell me if it's, uh, it's right or wrong. So the point I'm making is that these meetings uh, and the results of these meetings, because we had, of course, the National Economic Forum on Youth Employment in February, uh, don't just uh, start and end with the meeting itself, they are carried forward uh, in a range of ways, uh, not just by the Cabinet Secretaries and the Government Ministers, but by the participants in the meeting, and are tried to translate into action. And the ideas and the, the contributions that are made today are going to impact on actions, uh, hopefully. Not just over the next few months, but over the next few years uh, in Scotland. now Scotland's reputation for innovation is uh, is second to none uh, Arthur Herman uh, and I quote to Arthur Herman because he's uh, an American uh, academic as opposed to a Scottish academic uh, even went so far as to say that Scotland had invented the modern world uh, and uh, his evidence for that was not just a list of inventions. Uh, uh, you know, when I was at school, I, uh, I learned that uh, Scotland seemed to have invented just about everything. Uh, you know, television, telephone, tarmacadam, steam engine, etc, etc. We actually even invented overdraft, incidentally, but uh, we don't talk about that quite as much as, uh, as the other things. But uh, nobody actually told me why we'd invented these things. Uh, is it just because we're naturally more inventive, more ingenious? Is that the aspect and mark of the Scots, uh, one of the things that Arthur Herrmann postulates, or was it perhaps because we were the first country in the world to have universal free education? Aye, we had a bigger pool of inventors than anybody else because we had that uh, advantage. Is it because our capital markets, particularly in the 19th century, were hugely in advance uh, of just about any other country in the world, so people could get the capital uh, to mobilise their invention and turn it into an industrial process. I think probably a substantial part to do with that. But I think we should give ourselves, if not as much credit as Arthur Herman gives us, uh, we should give ourselves a bit of credit that, that Scotland is seen and has demonstrated a great capacity uh, for innovation. Last year when uh, Vice Premier, shortly to be Premier, Lee Kao Chang uh, visited uh, Edinburgh Castle that year uh, and incidentally, those who uh, believe that the uh, uh, the Chinese uh, political system uh, doesn't allow politicians to know how to relate to an audience and to canvass support an audience uh, uh, should have heard uh, Vice Premier Lee's speech last year. Uh, his first words were, it's great to be in Scotland, the land of invention. <laughs> and if you want to ingratiate yourself to a, a Scottish audience in the Great Hall of Edinburgh Castle, then this seems to me... Uh, <coughs> Uh, I'm sure if uh, Vice Premier the stood for election in Gedenborough Castle last year, then he would have been returned with a, almost as substantial a majority as he's been returned for to be <laughs> Premier <laughs> uh, of, uh, of China. But uh, we were very grateful to, uh, to Li Kai-ching for his uh, remarks, uh, and significant uh, that the uh, leader, arguably now the third, fourth most uh, powerful politician on the planet, uh, was interested in coming to, uh, to Scotland, uh, because he was interested in the aspect of Scotland as a land of invention uh, and uh, innovation. Uh, incidentally, uh, I see a Permanent Secretary uh, of the Scottish Government uh, sitting in the, the, the front row, and I'm grateful for to him for this uh, story, which I'll now retail to you, <coughs> that uh, Lee Ka-Cheng came to Scotland quite deliberately first because he, he, he wanted to make that uh, statement and engage uh, uh, with the Scottish Government. Uh, the next uh, day, he went to uh, to uh, a white tie dinner uh, in uh, in London, hosted by the uh, the, the foreign secretary. And uh, those of you and some of you, I think, were at the at Edinburgh Edinburgh Castle. Will remember it was a it was a, a, a an amazing uh, intermix of culture and politics and uh, and economics. We had. Uh, we had uh, Scottish uh, songs, we had Caledonia from Anne Lund-Gillis. I was crying, I always cried during Caledonia <laughs> uh, and at Scottish rugby matches. But <laughs> they, And uh, we had uh, Anne with uh, a wonderful voice singing a, a Chinese lullaby. And uh, As I turned around to, to ask the Vice Premier about the lullaby, I noticed he was crying as well. Uh, and uh, I thought to myself, this is great. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love to be in a world <laughs> where, uh, where the uh, this uh, soon to be the third foremost powerful man on the planet uh, uh, shows emotion during a, a Chinese lullaby. I think uh, that tells me the world is a bit safer place than many people think. So I I was very pleased with that. But we had a great time. We had a whiskey tasting. We had the uh, Lovian and Borders police band march through the Great Hall of Edinburgh Castle. The Vice Premier performed the ceremony of the quake. Uh, sometime after midnight, his staff were becoming increasingly frantic at trying to <laughs> move the Vice Premier out of the Great Hall of Edinburgh. Edinburgh Castle, since he was about an hour and a half, but beyond uh, his allocated time. Uh, And a great time was uh, held by one and all. Now the next night, thanks to the Permanent Secretary uh, and this uh, white tie dinner, hosted by the Foreign Secretary, uh, Li Kao Cheng spoke for 15 minutes. The first 10 minutes was to tell the audience what a great place Scotland was. (laughs) Uh, And then at the end, he he toasted his audience (coughs) in the phrase, (laughs) Slajuwa! Which he'd learned the previous evening. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so we have a worldwide reputation. uh, But what we have to understand and what we acknowledge uh, is that that worldwide reputation for innovation, which can be demonstrated in a range of statistics, in a range of ways, which is still there and maintained in terms of the excellence of the innovation and processes uh, through our universities uh, and colleges, uh, has not been translated into uh, an excess or even an abundance or even a moderate average amount of translating these innovation and ideas into business success uh, uh, and progress. I heard this morning in the radio that Queen Margaret uh, University are uh, innovating with uh, companies uh, a process for uh, uh, extending the, the life of food without losing its nutritional value, which a process, and I've no knowledge of this apart from what I heard on the, the radio this morning, but you can understand uh, if the uh, process is what it was cracked up to be this morning, of the enormous, profound, extraordinary significance that such a process could have in, the, uh, in this planet in terms of uh, maintaining the nutritional value of food and preserving it over a period uh, of time. Just one example of many, many. Now, our business startup for a generation, has been lower than uh, the UK as a whole, Uh, 36 new businesses per 10,000 people each year in Scotland against 46 in the UK. However, it's worth noting, indeed it's highly significant, uh, that there have been a a change, noticeable change in the figures in more recent times. Uh, From March 2011 to March 2012, the number of private enterprises in Scotland rose by 9.9%, which is a, a significant rise, a, a huge rise. Now, there two explanations for that, which is true. Uh, is it because people are becoming effectively private businesses because that's a cheaper way to do business depending on the industry they're in, but they were previously directly employed? Uh, or alternatively, uh, is it because there's been an upsurge in entrepreneurship? Uh, like most things uh, in economics, like most things in life, actually both are true. Uh, Why do we know that the second is true as well as the first? Because if you look at the comparative figures between Scotland and UK, for example, in uh, PAYE registrations and VAT registrations, then we see the closing of the gap between Scotland and the rest of the UK in terms of the uh, business uh, uh, registrations and the impact. So it tells us that both things are happening. One is a reaction to the current economic times, but the other is a closing of this historic or long-standing gap uh, which measures entrepreneurship uh, in these islands. So these are indications of improvement. They are no more than that. We need to monitor them, understand them, build on them where it shows success. But they do show that uh, new enterprises are being established in quite challenging, very challenging economic uh, circumstances and as such they provide the basis for further success. Now our challenge today in the coming months is to ensure that people in Scotland have the advice the support, the skills they need to become these entrepreneurs of the future. Now I, I mentioned the strength in <coughs> creativity and innovation. I, I think it's worth spending just a minute since I see some of our distinguished university principals in the audience. Uh, you know, the, uh, I always uh, work on the adage of, uh, of Harold Wilson uh, I think 1966 election, he was doing a, a speech in uh, Devonport. And he started off the speech by saying, uh, the Royal Navy is the premier service. Why do I say the Royal Navy is the premier service? And somebody shouted out, because you're in Devonport. <laughs> Why do I say our universities lead the world in research productivity per unit of GDP? <clears throat> because I look at this audience of university principals. Uh, <laughs> but they do rank first. In the world in research productivity per unit GDP, second in the world in terms of research impact. Uh, it's one of the reasons, uh, I suspect, uh, why the Ernst Young figures over the last two years show that Scotland is the most successful area in these islands, this most successful nation, region, part of these islands, most successful in uh, attracting inward investment <laughs> in research and development. However, <coughs> it's significant, although Scotland currently ranks third in the OECD table, that's Organisation, Economic Cooperation and Development, in terms of higher education research and development spending, we are at the bottom, 25% of countries, in terms of our business research and development. Now, there are reasons for this in terms of the structure of Scottish business. Most R&D is associated, not exclusively, but tends to be associated near head office uh, uh, concentrations. There are a number of reasons for that in terms of company formation, company psychology. Uh, Scotland has a limited number of head offices, therefore it tends to limit the number of uh, business R&D <coughs> areas in, in Scotland. It's not universally the case. One of the most significant uh, Edward investment uh, uh, successes in Scotland in recent months has been the decision of Johnson & Johnson to locate all, all of its... Uh, uh, international research uh, and development in diabetes, one of the great conditions which pervades across the, uh, the population of the planet, uh, in Inverness. Uh, and when we made that announcement in the summer, <coughs> the uh, I think uh, i I've tried to remember the number of jobs uh, uh, related to that investment. But it was quite a, a limited number of jobs. It was less than a hundred. Although LifeScan itself has uh, more than a thousand people employed in Inverness, but it was a, <coughs> a relatively limited number. Of jobs in the announcement, one of the journalists said to me, "Why are you making such a big deal of uh, of what is a, in a, a limited number of jobs? Let's say it was eighty for the for the sake of uh, for the sake of argument." And I said, "Well, I mean, in these times, uh, eighty jobs actually is rather significant in my uh, in my estimation. But it's not the nature of the jobs; it's the nature of the jobs, rather than the number of the jobs uh, that are particularly significant in this investment, because by deciding to locate its r and diabetes in Inverness, then it anchors the Inverness uh, plant for, uh, I suspect, a generation to come. It also makes it more than likely that the new products which come from that innovation uh, will have the uh, plant in Inverness as their first port of call for future uh, production. Uh, so the reasons for the lack of business R&D uh, are, I think, reasonably well understood, uh, but the uh, the, the battle to uh, to uh, target <coughs> research and development uh, as an important aspect of uh, of business growth uh, is also well understood, and that's why we're boosting business research uh, as a key priority for the Scottish government and the enterprise agencies. We're investing 10 million this year in innovation centres to help businesses benefit from the university research sector. And this year, the Scottish Enterprise research and development grants attracted <coughs> or levered. Uh, an additional $55 of private sector investment. Scottish Enterprise is supporting, for example, the International Technology and Renewable Energy Zone uh, being established at uh, Strathclyde University, uh, which will uh, hopefully be the the anchor and development centre uh, for the uh, marine technology, which will, will, in my estimation, transform the electricity generation uh, of this continent. Uh, that zone also includes the UK's first Fraunhofer Institute in Photonics, uh, as well as the Catapult Centre for Offshore Renewable Energy. Both of them are significant, highly significant uh, developments. Now, national efforts to boost business research and development may have had some effect. It is uh, encouraging uh, that while, the, again, the figures have shown a generational lag, uh, again, the gap between Scotland and the rest of the UK is starting to close. So we need to ensure that that trend continues. Now, in addition to investing in research, we have to ensure that companies have access to funding and investment uh, they need, particularly at times when the transmission system through our, our clearing banks uh, over the last few years has been severely limited. I said earlier that, uh, you know, why does Scotland have the uh, uh, best record in the innovation? Why do we become world uh, leaders in innovation and new uh, products, uh, and it was that combination, in my estimation, of education and access to capital, and the access to capital uh, was of particular uh, importance. Uh, some time ago, a long time ago, I, I did a, a pamphlet when I was uh, earning a beer crust as the economist at the Royal Bank of Scotland in the generation when it made money. Uh, I uh, did a, a pamphlet on the Royal Bank and the the City of Glasgow. I think we were celebrating a two hundredth anniversary of the first representative office in Glasgow. And uh, in order to do this pamphlet, I got uh, access to all the bank's monuments and, and records. And uh, what particularly struck me was the was the correspondence from uh, the Glasgow representative office back to the uh, headquarters of the the Royal Bank in the nineteenth century. Uh, It took me a while, incidentally, uh, in my naivety, I I, I was trying to work out why this single general manager seemed to be doing all the work uh, in the Royal Bank circa 1880 or so, until I I realised they only had one general manager in uh, in 1880. But what struck me about the correspondence coming from the Glasgow Rep Centre of Office is that it was reports, retrospectively, of lending. Uh, In other words, the the Glasgow Rep Office were, were saying to the headquarters, we have not should we or can we? But we have advanced such and such to so and so, who's developing. I remember one example: a new dyeing process in, in paisley. I don't mean dying from <laughs> too many cigarettes <coughs> and, and things. A new dyeing process for cloth and paisley. It's obviously going to be a success. This is his track record. Just thought we'd let you know, <coughs> uh, which was, I thought, a splendid uh, uh, example of uh, confidence and. Uh, in uh, retail, business, traditional Scottish uh, uh, banking. Uh, I have to reflect, of course, in the modern world where billions of transactions can take place in a, a split second that uh, this retrospective reporting of uh, of financial transactions may actually be one of the causes of uh, some of the difficulties over the last few years. But nonetheless, uh, what struck me about the uh, 19th century report of the city of Glasgow was the economic confidence in which that facility and availability of capital indicated, uh, in terms of turning ideas, new processes, innovation, into the finance and capital required to to get that moving forward. So, the establishment of the Scottish Investment Bank in 2010 by the Scottish Government, I think, is highly significant. <coughs> uh, it's somewhat in advance of the establishment of the Business Bank, which. Uh, the UK government are uh, considering at the present moment. Uh, It's limited in scale, inevitably, but uh, government finance is limited in scale. But thus far, the Scottish Investment Bank has supported 320 companies in the last two years uh, in Scotland. The majority of these companies uh, are in growth sectors such as enabling technologies, (laughs) life sciences, and energy. More than a quarter of these new companies are already exporting their products from that investment uh, overseas. Uh, so I'm not claiming <coughs> that the 200 million or so capitalisation of the Scottish Investment Bank, which operates in conjunction, doesn't offer cheap money incidentally, just in case anybody's sort of sitting more forward on the edge of the seat, it does offer money for. Uh, and it's done in conjunction with uh, private sector lenders. It's been extremely helpful in anchoring uh, transactions which otherwise would not have taken place. So 320 uh supported companies uh, supported in that great banking euphemism <coughs> they uh you know when i was uh, in banking they, they never used to say that uh, we've lent money and getting a return on it they always said you're supporting <laughs> uh, so the scottish investment bank is supporting uh, in, in that fashion but i think it's highly significant now some of the companies were here this morning including the prosthetics company touch Bionics, the wave energy company albatern the biotech company Calvices have benefited from the assistance of the Scottish uh, Investment Bank and its associate lenders. Uh, so that emphasis on access to finance is part of a wider package of support for business. Uh, the small business bonus, I, I think, is crucial in over the recession and keeping many small businesses in business uh, in Scotland. There's also specific measures to help entrepreneurs. <coughs> uh, obviously, when you have the finance sector as tough as Mr Swinney, uh, and when you have an extremely tough financial situation, you look for significant returns on any investment that's made. Uh, if I was to, to evaluate where I believe the most significant impact of relatively small amounts of money in terms of government finances lay, lain, then I would turn probably uh, to the money that's uh, uh, come from government to initiatives such as the, the Prince's Trust Youth Business Scotland and the Revolving Loan Fund. Uh, where an additional £1 million of uh, finance uh, can uh, translate into a highly significant effect. Tom Hunter uh, once called the the business trust, youth business, the most bankable investment anyone can make in young entrepreneurship, unquote. Uh, So for a relatively small amount of money in this area, you can see a significant uh, effect. And it's not the only similar fund, the EDGE Fund, which we established in October, eh, is a good example about, uh, about us being informed of the potential impact eh, of uh, a seed finance fund and responding to that need. The fund is worth a million pounds, it will provide non-refundable awards of up to fifty thousand pounds for entrepreneurial businesses which want to grow but are struggling to access finance. It's already received in the, the last month or so more than two hundred applications something which demonstrates the demand for it, and of course it's supported by uh, significant Scottish entrepreneurs such as Sir Willie Hawkey and Sir Tom Hunter. The original idea for the EDGE Fund came from uh, Jim Duffy. It complements the Entrepreneurial Spark initiative, which of course was launched last year. There are now two Entrepreneurial Spark hubs in Ayrshire and Glasgow. Which provide accommodation, facilities, support for approximately 60 businesses. A further hub is about to be established at Edinburgh Napier University, and we expect other hubs will follow uh, across Scotland. It's based on a, an extremely powerful idea: young businesses benefit not just require access to finance, but they benefit from support, advice, and providing locations where these businesses can talk to each other, share experiences, uh, will uh, short circuit of the difficulties that businesses have in the gestation period also overcome uh, and uh, circumvent some of these difficulties as well as providing the encouragement and support uh, in terms of going on a, a route to expansion and that ladies and gentlemen is where i, I want to, to close and that reflection because there is one other aspect of the entrepreneurial exchange in these business hubs they're led by people like uh, Jim Duffy, Tom Hunter, Willie Hawkey, uh, as well as today's speaker, Ian Ritchie, who have taken the lead in developing and encouraging the next generation of Scottish entrepreneurs. I uh, believe that uh, the current generation of Scottish entrepreneurs uh, have uh, and are stepping up to the plate in uh, encouraging the next generation. (coughs) Back in these days, (coughs) when I was doing the Royal Bank's history of the The city of Glasgow, Uh, I used to have a kind of party piece which uh, uh, I took around various economic meetings and and what I did, and it was teasing and uh, it was slightly ironic, but I got people to write down uh, the most significant industrialists in Scotland. So I made them write down a bit of paper and at the end uh, we looked at the bits of paper. Uh, And (laughs) what was significant back in the 1980s that most people wrote down the same names and most of these names, and this is no disrespect to any of the individuals involved, <coughs> were, how shall I put it, the, uh, the sons, the, the grandsons, and they were all male, eh, of uh, major industrialists who had built up businesses a few generations ago, and these businesses usually weren't in the same robust condition as in their growth stage in the earlier part of the 20th century. Eh, and almost universally, like 7 or 8 out of 10, uh, that's the names that people would write down. If you ask people to do that now, you'd get a totally different nature of uh, of entrepreneurs in Scotland. Uh, you would get uh, uh, people uh, uh, mentioning the suitors, the, uh, the hunters, the McCalls. Uh, that's the names that would come down. Uh, and if you look at that generation over this last generation of Scottish entrepreneurs, then th- these people have a range of similarities uh, they are people who built up businesses from nothing. Uh, they they are uh, self motivated, outstanding successes in their business field. Uh, they also, by and large, have the common touch uh, in terms of their uh, attitude, their commentary, their approach to to life and uh, uh, and to business. Uh, and they're also highly popular, <laughs> uh, by and large, which is. Uh, you know, for whether it's for business people or for major companies or for politicians or for anyone, it's actually a huge and significant challenge But how you can be uh, in a, a, a Scotland uh, undergoing an economic recession, extremely wealthy, extremely successful, and also extremely popular, which is a mark of the, uh, the impact and the work that uh, they are seen to have done in society. It's also a mark of the recognition that people have of self-built, self-made success. People who've worked for uh, their success and achieved it as opposed to having it handed Mm -hmm. down to them. Uh, And that's highly significant in my estimation because it is when these people in particular are involved in stimulating the initiatives which are going to create the next generation, uh, then you have a, a feature where people are looking to emulate and to succeed in the same way as our current, leading, self-made, self-built entrepreneurs have undoubtedly done. I think it's a major change in role modeling in Scottish society, and it's a a significant advantage as we seek to build things through the entrepreneurial exchange and Spark uh, and other similar uh, initiatives. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, this trot through recent Scottish economic experience is is designed to say this. Firstly, there's a, a major challenge to meet. Uh, Secondly, that uh, I detect in the uh, undercurrents of of the Scottish economy some significant changes uh, for the better, that we should look beyond uh, recession, which uh, is going to continue as long as there is deficient demand in the economy, uh, to see arising within the economy some uh, important changes, both in the psychology. If we reinforce the things that we know are working well, like the extraordinary success of our uh, academic institutions and innovation, and we connect that to the business ideas of tomorrow, if we target the inward investment in which we are so successful to uh, emphasise the research and development and other decision-making areas in the knowledge that that in turn will lead to the productive capacity and general uh, employment, if we uh, continue to enhance the attitudes of our young people towards business and entrepreneurship. And if we provide the facility and do what we can to fill the gaps in the capital market to get back to that position where our capital markets actually perform and do the job they're meant to do in facilitating the ability of people to translate ideas into action, uh, then uh, you'll find today's proceedings uh, an important part of of that process. What I can tell you is this uh, surfeit of government ministers and cabinet secretaries are here to listen and learn as well as to talk. And by following my own example, I shall now bring these remarks to a conclusion. Thank you very much.